This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Well, guys, we have been talking about um, tis the season to give, about cultivating a generous spirit. How many of us in here want a generous spirit? In the last two weeks, we've been talking about this, and, and we are coming up on the holiday season. The holiday season is all about giving, isn't it? And that run is really all about, I mean, we talk about uh, Jesus being the reason for the season. Well, it was Jesus came and gave, right? We, we like to talk about the baby, baby in the manger, but he was baby in the manger because he came to die. His mission was to lay his life down. That's what Christmas is all about. God coming as flesh so he could lay his life down on our behalf. True? So with that, we've been, we've been discussing a generous spirit, and, and I, I kind of changed over the last two weeks as I've been going through this. Um, really, this is an extension of the theme I've been talking about for months. This is about living from the inside out. And, you know, in this, over the last few months, I've talked to you guys about, about you know, what it means. Be, we, we discussed rebirth, what it means to be a, what it means to be a new creation, we talked about what it means to surrender our lives to Christ. Um, you know, we talked about how when we surrender our life to Christ, we're a new creation. He starts over fresh and new, gives us this new spirit. We're this brand new creation, but we still have a soul. How many of us still have a soul? And we spend our lives dealing with this soul. The soul wants to be in charge, but it's supposed to be the spirit. The soul doesn't want to give up, doesn't want to give up its place. And so, what do we have to do as believers, as this new creation? We've got to learn to, to, to feed the Spirit and to starve the flesh so that we do God's will instead of our fleshly will, right? So in this, how many of you know our soul can tend to be a little bit selfish and materialistic? How many of you will admit that? Your soul can be selfish and materialistic. It's all of us as human beings, right? And... Thus, we don't tend to be very generous from the get-go. You know, I, I know we've used this example a lot, but with our kids, the first word they learn usually is no, and the second word they usually learn is mine. Right? So one of the very first principles that we teach our children is we teach them to share. Watch any children's show, you know, we, Zach and Angie's kids come over, and we put on the little kids' show for them. Half the time, it's about sharing, because that's one of the first principles we teach our children, because they're selfish. They'll have a toy one, and they'll be playing with it and having a great time. They see another kid pick up a toy, and they want that one, right? Generosity doesn't come natural to us. Generosity is something that we are taught. That's why we begin teaching that to our children. So the first thing that we really have to establish as believers, as followers of Christ, is that we serve a generous God. And I know in the church saying that doesn't just set off explosions. and Everybody's like, wow, what a new revelation. But we don't always have that mindset. I was thinking firstly about the world, and I just started making a list. The worldly view of God. When you talk to people and they try to argue with you about why all this God stuff is nonsense, it's because of their view. 
It's caused many times what they've seen, what they've experienced, what they've been told, what they've been taught. And I, I just started listing things. One, people think that God is very serious. He doesn't care about our joy. I think part of that reason is that the world sees these sour-faced Christians serving God out of obligation, right? And they think, why in the world would I want that? And really what it translates into is hostility toward, toward the world. I was thinking about other ways the world views God. I think, I think the world views God as a legalistic prison warden. They see Christians as people who are following a big, thick book of rules, right? They see Christians constantly judging them because of their choices. And what they hear is, God is waiting to punish you. They see preachers on TV saying, God will give you just what you want if you'll send in this amount of money today. They hear about a violent God of the Old Testament. They see Christianity as a burden rather than a freedom. They think all he wants is for you to do what he says. All he wants is obedience. I think the world sees God. They think if he's real, then he's nothing more than an absentee father because they don't see him actively involved in the world today. I think if God is a good father, then uh, you've probably heard people ask this. If God is so good, then why does he let little children die as babies? Then why are there hospitals that are dedicated to just incurable diseases? If God is so good, why are there orphans? If God is so good, then why does he let terrorists shoot up crowds of people? If God is so good, then why did he let my father abuse me? I think if God is real, I think the then he's either absent or he doesn't care. I think the world feels like God sets us up to fail. He allows us to be surrounded by things that appeal to our flesh, and then he says, don't touch. All starting with the book of Genesis, right? Sets something in front of us that looks great and says, don't touch that. People think, well, why in the world does God put us in the world that surrounds us by things that appeal to our flesh? And then he says, oh, you can't have that. People think that God is all about himself. I've heard this before. What kind of God creates humans and then says that he's a jealous God and demands all of our dedication, obedience, and worship? Have you heard these things before? It's a worldly view of God. These are the thoughts of many people in the world, but the problem, you know what I have really come to realize is this is the thoughts of many people in the church. The reality is, it's all based in ignorance. This is not the God of the Bible. This is not the God of history. Our one true God is the epitome, the embodiment, the very essence of love and generosity. James 1.5 says, God gives to all generously and ungrudgedly. You know, when God tells us to give cheerfully, you know he can do that because that's what he did. And that's what he continues to do. So we've talked the last couple of weeks about giving. We've talked about why we give tithes and offerings and these things. But I, I really felt led to go back for a minute and talk about the heart of giving. But to do so as believers, we've got to talk about the heart of God. So the first thing we've got to establish is that God is generous. Thus, as the new creation, we're created to be generous. And I really believe that as God's people, we can't be truly generous until we come to the understanding and revelation that we serve a generous God. 
that he gave first. So, you can follow along in your note sheet. You can follow along on the YouVersion Found a note sheet in there. Uh, as you guys who are here on a regular basis know, we also, you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app on any mobile device that you may have. All the notes are loaded on there. But I'm going to give you three things today. And what I basically want to establish is, is that our God is generous. So the question I want to answer, how do we know that our God is generous? Look, I know this sounds simple, but I don't believe the church has grasped it. We haven't truly grasped it. That's why we sing songs like, Good, Good Father. We need to sing it over and over again because we haven't really come to the realization of who God is. And we have all this different basis. Some people base their view of God on how their father treated them. Some people base their view on God on what they have or don't have or what they see God do or not do. How can we know that we serve a generous God? Number one, number one, he proved it in creation. This just kind of hit me the other day. I, I, I had a couple other points down, and, and I wanted to go back to the very most basic point where God shows his generosity. He proved it in creation. Psalm 33, verses 5 through 7, the Message Bible says, Earth is drenched in God's affectionate satisfaction. How awesome is that? As God's people, uh, I'm sorry, um, he believed the, he breathed the world and the stars popped out. He scooped sea into his jug and put ocean in his keg. So I say keg. <laughs> a keg is just a barrel here, guys. God drenched, earth is drenched in God's affectionate satisfaction. You realize that God could have made earth just simply a lump of rock. But instead, he made it vast, and he made it lavish. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. What speaks? Creation speaks. Night after night, they make him known. How many of you know God doesn't do anything small? You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a science geek, and I, I read a little while back. You realize that there are now 10 billion galaxies within reach of our powerful telescopes? 10 billion. Our galaxy alone has over 400 billion stars in it. There are over 70 sextillion stars in the sky. That's seven with 22 zeros following it. To put it on the face of the earth. Ten times the amount of grains of sand on every beach and every desert on the face of the earth. We can only see about 5,000 of those stars with the naked eye when we look up at the sky. To me, it seems like 1,000 would have been good enough. God went all out in creation. And here's the, here's the big reality to it. God didn't create the earth for himself. He made that for us. He made that for us to enjoy, to live in. And he didn't hold back. Just look. Just look at a sunset. Just look at a rainbow. Look at the mountains, the oceans, the rolling hills. God didn't hold back in the slightest bit. 
Look at all the animals. Look at all the wildlife. How incredible. How many of you in here would say that you are what is now coined a foodie? Who in here is a foodie? Our girls in our house are foodies. I also refer to them as food snobs. How many of you in here are food snobs? You're like, you love watching cooking shows, and you're just like, oh, wow, that looks good. I need to write down that recipe and tag it on Pinterest and whatever else it may be. You realize, I thought about this just the other day. God could have created a single tasteless vegetable that would have incredibly met all of our, all of our nutritional needs. Could have done it. Instead, he created thousands and thousands of varieties of food. God was incredibly generous in all of creation. Genesis 2.16. In Genesis 2.16, God said, he said to man, you may eat of any tree of the garden. Let's stop there. I know there's a comma. I know he says something else following that. But he says, you may eat of any tree of the garden. What did he do? He waved his arms to the whole earth in front of Adam. And he said, it's yours. Countless trees, vast varieties of food, the best that the earth has to offer. It's all yours. Then, of course, there's a comma. And he said, but this one's mine. Hold that aside for me. Please don't touch it. That one's mine. Right? But he gave man the whole earth. Psalm 145, verses 16 and 17. I love this from the Message Bible again. It says, generous to a fault, you lavish your favor on all creatures. Everything God does is right. The trademark on all his works is love. Created. Romans 1.20 says, for since the world was created, and actually this was one of our, for a number of years, this was the key scripture in our, our men's small group. For ever since the world was created, People have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So that they, who's they? It's mankind, right? So that mankind will have no excuse for not knowing God. What does this mean? This means that creation is the flashing neon sign that says there is a loving, generous God. Creation is our in-your-face evidence of who God is. It's such compelling evidence that the Bible says that because of this evidence, man is is without excuse when it comes to knowing God. So, What do we see of God in creation? And actually, I I read an article recently from uh, PursueGod.com. they got some great stuff. You can look at that. But this article was about how we see God in creation. And they listed six things, six of those invisible attributes of God's that you can see in creation. I want to give those to you real quick. I thought this was good. Firstly was God's power. How many of you know that we can see God's power in the earth? It's amazing. I was thinking that us as human beings, you realize that especially without God, we have no power over the earth. In this technology, in this technologically advanced age, we have no power over the earth. Think about the waves, the weather, the wind. 
We're incredibly advanced, and we can't touch it. The power of the earth is so far beyond us. So with that in mind, imagine the power of the Creator. Secondly, in creation, we see God's glory. That's as I was just talking about the vast size of the universe. Just, you know, we can see how big and glorious God is. Think of the size of the mountains. Think about the size of the oceans. How many of you have ever flown over the ocean before? Water as far as you can see in every direction for hours upon hours upon hours. Remember one time flying over the Amazon rainforest across Brazil for hours and hours and seeing nothing but jungle. Nothing. You just go, wow. Thirdly, God's the planets, the stars, the vastness of the earth. It all demonstrates the glory of God. Thirdly, God's creativity. If we can't see God's creativity in creation, then we have got our eyes closed. All the unique creations, unique creatures that God made. Even humanity, the human body. We were made so much alike, but in the same way, God created us each so uniquely. Different colors of hair, eyes, skin. God was involved in the most minute details in creation. Fourthly, God's beauty. As I said a minute ago, we can all attest to the beauty of God being seen in creation. Sunsets, waterfalls, rainbows. And it all points to the generosity of our God. Obviously, that beauty is also seen in mankind. It's seen in human art. Fifthly, God's goodness. God's goodness can be seen in creation. The rain that falls, that provides for us and all of creation. Food to eat. We see the goodness of God in human efforts to do good and to bring justice in society. As we see the, the goodness of God, uh, is it, it's inherent in every human being, the understanding of what's right and wrong. That's the goodness of God. Lastly is God's love. We see God's love revealed in creation. We see His love in the way parents instinctively have that love for their children. Even the animal kingdom, how they care for their young. We see God's love in the way creation provides for the needs of all living things. How many of you know we can learn so much about God by just going outside and looking around and seeing creation? We serve a generous, lavish God, and he proved it in this. One last scripture under this point, 2 Corinthians 9, um, verse 9 through 11. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can't, that you can give away, which grows into well-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. God is extravagantly generous with us. It says here, He even gives us something we can give away. We give away love, the good news of Jesus, which brings us to number two. How does God prove? That he's a generous God. Number two, he proved it in his sacrifice. You know, we live in this materialistic, self-serving society, and it's amazing to me that there are people to people think it's attitude that God owes them something. People think 
Well, I was done wrong. God owes me vengeance. Or some people think God owes me happiness. Some people feel like, feel like God just owes them a break. Some spirit-filled Christians have been led to believe that God owes them health and wealth. Let me make it clear. God doesn't owe mankind one thing. Amen? God doesn't owe mankind one thing. As a matter of fact, I believe that if God had been just a little bit more like us, when it came to that whole incident in the garden, when they went over to that one tree that he asked them not to touch, if he had God had been a little more like us in that moment, I think, he, I think he would have truly said, to hell with them all. I gave them the whole planet. I gave them everything. I was so generous and extravagant, and they had to, do the, they had to take the one thing I asked to be mine. But that's not what he said. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? Somebody say me. You were the joy that was set before him. You were the one that helped him to endure the pain and the suffering and the separation from God. He knew the freedom and the life that his death, burial, and resurrection would bring to you. And I think nothing demonstrates God's love and his generosity than going to the cross. And how many of you know Jesus wasn't forced to die. Some people get this idea, they watch, they watch a movie about Jesus and they think, oh, oh, it's so sad. They, they take a, no, Jesus did it willingly. Nobody forced him. Nobody overpowered him. They didn't outnumber him and they didn't trick him. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He marched straight to it. He chose the cross because of his love even when we didn't return that love. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece long ago. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. How many of you can admit, we failed God from day one, and he owed us nothing. But out of his love and out of his generosity, he provided a way out. He provided a very costly way out. Even when we were spitting in his face, he came and he walked willingly among us and laid down his life for us. What greater show of love and generosity can you see than that? We owed a sin debt so big that it could never be repaid by all of creation, by all of mankind. So instead of discarding us and counting his losses, God came and he paid the debt for us, right? He paid off that debt. He provided us with the ability to repent and to turn back to him. How many of you have ever thought about what a generous gift repentance is? Repentance itself 
shows the incredible generosity of God. The fact that we can come and we can repent of our sin. Repentance has become a bad word. Even in the church today, repent, people don't, they don't like hearing about repentance. What an awesome gift repentance is. That we can turn from our sin. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, a little long, but I think this sums it up well. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came along at just the right moment and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, Though someone might die, perhaps, be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still rejoice in our we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, what? Friends with God. God is unfathomably generous. He's rich in love. And he's proved it to us over and over again. Which brings me to the last point. How do we know that our God is generous? Lastly, He proves it through his promises. He proves it through his promises. We know that when we repent and we surrender our lives to Christ, we're snatched out of the kingdom of darkness. And we're made God's very own, right? We become part of his kingdom. And as heirs of his kingdom, his promises are almost countless to us. And, you know... We, we can talk, we can start listing God's promises, but let me talk about a few foundational things that we as, as true followers of Christ, one of the biggest things that really hit me the other day that we can always count on is that God never changes. I think it's one of the greatest promises of the Bible. A few scriptures real quick. Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? We know Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1, 17 says every good gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and no shadow turning. Guys, God never changes. He doesn't change his mind. You realize that God has never had an aha moment? Oh, I know what I'll do. (laughs) Nothing's ever happened that made him go, oh, man. God's never had to say, "Uh uh-oh. It's never happened. And it never will. God never changes. It's called immutability. Our God will never change. His character, His will, His promises, they never change. Never change. This is great news because we can always count on Him. What He's done before, He'll do again. What He's done for one, 
he'll do for another. He's never failed, and he never will. What a great promise to count on. Every human being we've ever known will eventually fail us, but God never will. That allows us to trust him. That allows us to take him at his word. What has God generously promised to us as his followers? Let me give you a couple of things. And actually, it's just go to Romans, Romans 8.38. I mean, for the New Living, Romans 8.38 says, For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He promises that if we, if we repent and surrender our lives to him, that nothing can interfere in our relationship with him. Nothing can separate us from his love. We can always count on it. What other things has God promised to us that have repented and turned our lives to him? He's promised that he'll be our strength and our protector. I'll read to you from Psalm um, chapter 121. Just listen to this for a moment. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God will not fall asleep. Not on your life. Israel's guardian will never doze or sleep. God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. I had to look that up for a second. Moonstroke. I was thinking about like sunburn, moonburn. Boy, that'd be a fair-skinned dude right there. It means something else. You have to look it up. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. What a generous God. What else? I'm going to read this. It's a little lengthy, but again, from Psalm 103. Let me tell you, David got this. Just read the psalm. Read, us, read the psalms. He got this. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who sat all who are oppressed. He, makes, he made his way known, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in a field. For the wind passes over and is gone, and, it, and its place knows knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, his kingdoms rule over all. 
tell me that's not a generous God. Does that not display the generosity of our Father? God's generous, providing us with abundance of promises. His love, His provision, abundant life, forgiveness, healing, hope, wisdom, guidance, peace, protection. This is who our God is. And because God never changes, we can count on Romans eleven twenty nine 29 when it says, God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled, never rescinded. How awesome is that? How can we know that we serve an extravagantly generous God? He proved it in creation. He proved it in his sacrifice. And he continues to prove it through his promises. He proves his generosity every single day. And I think once we realize the generosity of our God, we also realize that we were created to be a generous people. We freely give love, patience, forgiveness, time, energy, talents, giftings, money, our increase. We freely give. As a new creation, it's now part of our DNA. We've just got to get our soul out of the way. Once we get this, all fear leaves because we realize that God has been generous with us and he'll continue to be. Just because we give, we're not going to lack. God is a generous God and he's going to take care of us. Next week, I'm going to talk a little more practically about the heart of generosity and how we strive toward it and what it looks like. But that's what I want you guys to do this week. I want you to ponder on how good God has been it's, and how appropriate as we go into Thanksgiving week. We remember who our God is and what he's done in our lives. Um, there's a, how many of y'all saw that video a church released this week? Uh, it showed a, a Christmas morning as everybody's opening their presents and, and it was them being thankful. They were, they were thankful. They walked into the bathroom. It was the father and he's thankful. Running water. I've got running water. And he, uh, did you, any, any of y'all see that video? We need to release it on the Facebook page. Give me just a little while. I'm going to put it up so y'all can see it. Maybe I'll show it next week. We need to remember. We need to remember that we have so much to be thankful for. And it's all because we serve a God of generosity. And because we're his, his kids, we too, we are people of generosity. Last scripture, 1 Chronicles 29, 14 from the Living Bible. It says, everything we have comes from you, Lord. We can only give you what's yours already. Let's stand up. Let me get the worship team to come forward. How many of you are thankful that we serve a generous God? It's amazing how the world has brought this idea that if our God is real, everything's going to go right. He never promised that. But we can count on the fact that we have new life. That our relationship with the Father has been restored. That yes, we're going to walk through trials. Things, we're going to walk through tough times in life. Amen? Doesn't matter how closely you are, how close you are to the Lord, you're going to go through some tough things in life. 
And God's not there to bail us out. All he asks is that we trust him. And when we trust him, we find that he was right there beside us all along. He was walking with us. He was trying to grab our hand and say, you've got this. Instead, we relied on our own intellect and our own logic to figure everything out. God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We serve an extravagantly generous God. With that, let's all bow our heads for a moment. We talked about his sacrifice. Even people who aren't believers and haven't surrendered their life to him, they know that Jesus came and died on the cross. But maybe you've never viewed it in this way. Maybe you never viewed it as God's generosity of his great love. Maybe you haven't realized, maybe you have no concept, you've never stopped and pondered for just a moment on the depths of his love for you. And this is your moment. Holy Spirit, I thank you for sweeping through this place. I want you to meditate on that for just a moment. God's love for you is so great. He's never failed you. He never will. But if you've never surrendered your life to Him, then that's the first thing I would ask. What does that mean? It means that we quit trying to be first. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. It means that you repent and you turn from your sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And the promise is that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to walk in sin and in, in guilt and in shame in your life. No matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how selfish you've been you from all unrighteousness. In just a moment, all you've got to do is repent and surrender your life to Him. God is a good God. If that's you and you would say, with every head bowed, if that's you and you would say, I've got to get my life right. I realize that everything that God has done, He did out of His great love for me. And I need to make a change today. Whether you've ever prayed a prayer before to receive Jesus or not, you recognize that it's time to surrender your heart. If that's you, I'd ask you to lift up your hand right quick. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but anybody in this place would say, I need to surrender my life to a generous God, to that loving God. Anybody in this place? Look, regardless of whether you lifted your hand or not, I invite you to pray with us together in just a moment. We're going to pray a prayer of surrender. And I want you to understand, as I always say, it's not about the prayer, it's about the position of your heart. If you're at that place and you're ready to surrender, you're done trying to live life your own way, 
you recognize the love of a generous God who's laid down everything for you. And you say, you know what? I give up. I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. If you just believe that with all of your heart, you determine it, you set your mind, you set your will, the Bible says that he saves you. That you become a new creation. The old passes away and all things become his way. It means you turn from your old way of living. You follow his way from this day forward. Let's all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving me a way out. I have failed over and over. I've tried to do things my own way. I wasn't very successful. But today, I recognize your love. I recognize you made a way out. You saved me from death and hell. And you promised me eternity with you. You promised me life even on this earth. So today, I repent of my sin. I turn from them and I follow you. I recognize that you are who you say you are. I believe that you, Jesus, are the son of the living God, that you died in my place and you did it willingly. And I surrender to that sacrifice. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you now sit at the right hand of the Father and your blood cries out on my behalf that I am innocent and I am clean. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life from this day until my last breath in Jesus name everybody says amen thank you Lord guys as we sing this last song I want us to go in and I I would just want us to worship together for a moment I think far too often we forget no one more than our God there's no one more extravagant, no one more generous, no one more giving than our God. And sometimes we feel so lost and alone. All we've got to do is remember our God. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.